0: What's up, my friends? Jason Jimenez here. So glad to be with you here on another episode of Stand Strong in the Word podcast. So glad that you have tuned in as we continue our chronological study of the life of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been with us for quite some time, we have been the last few weeks on Tuesday of the Passion Week. Now, there's a lot that are crammed into these last few days before Jesus dies on the cross and he rises again on the third day. And so we've been kind of slowly you know, working through these teachings and these challenges and these open rebukes. And last podcast, podcast 93 was part four. So if you've missed that, go to standstrongministries.org or whatever platform that you're using and you can listen to that. But my study notes are available for you. So if you've never taken the opportunity to go to our website, standstrongministries.org, our notes of every episode up to this point And chronological fashion is available for free for you. So take advantage of that. But we were talking last week about the end time prophecy, eschatology, Looking at the end time events and Jesus, what is known as the Olivet discourse, we were looking at Matthew chapter twenty four and twenty five, and we were looking at what he was conveying to his disciples when they had asked him some key questions when they were at the Mount of Olives. Hence, why it's phrased as the Olivet discourse. So that's very important as we pick things up now, talking about the parable of the virgins on today's podcast, as well as talking about the parable of the talents, and we'd be looking at one other example in Matthew chapter 25 at the end of that chapter where it's referring to the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Now, I will say this before we dive into that portion later on the podcast as we're covering these things sequentially. There's a lot of mistakes that people make contextually as they interpret what the sheep and the goats are in that context. So I look forward to really clarifying some of the issues. And as always, if you have any questions or you need some clarification, info at StandStrongMinistries.org is a great way for you to reach out to us and ask your question. So let's now look at Matthew chapter 25, verses one through 13, as we look at the parable of the virgins and continue this discussion about Jesus teaching his disciples to be prepared. Now notice here in verse one of Matthew 25, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps, that's lanterns, and went to meet the bridegroom. So right off the bat, as Jesus was talking about the end times, and let me just jump back for a minute. When Jesus said back in verse 47, he says, truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see before the parable of the virgins that Jesus was applying the faithful and the wise servant And was underscoring the faithfulness, right, of this faithful servant versus the one who was taking advantage of the situation. And he was saying that those who do the things that God has called them to do, and they're waiting for his promised return, they will be the ones who will be blessed, right? But those who misuse their position, who are unfaithful, those will be the people, those servants, who will be judged harshly. So in context, Jesus is challenging his disciples, the future church to be faithful, to be good stewards to what he has given them through the power of the Holy Spirit and to wait for his blessed return. Now, he continues this discussion now by giving a parable, talking about these 10 virgins who have these lamps. So this this other parable is about preparedness. It's about being ready for the second coming. Remember, because that's the context of end time prophecy. So in those times, there were three stages of marriage, and this is important. First, the dowry was paid, and the contract between the bridegroom's parents and the bride's parents was made. Second, the bridegroom would prepare a place for his wife, and when ready, he would come get her. Third, was now the marriage feast, and this was the celebration with the family and the friends. So in the context here in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is not referring to the rapture here. Now, the rapture, again, you can see references of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 through 58, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And here specifically, what Jesus is referring to is his second coming. So the need for those in the tribulation, they need to be prepared for the second coming. So this parable now, is introducing some virgins with these lamps in the context of them being in the tribulation. So you say, well, what does it have to do with me? Well, currently right now, if you're a believer, my friend, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior and the rapture were to happen at any given time, that's the teaching of imminency can happen at any given time, and you're caught up to be with him in heaven— and you receive your resurrected bodies, you're not going to enter into the tribulation period. These people Jesus is now talking about who were not believers before his before the rapture, him coming back for his church, and they're going to endure through the tribulation period, and so they need to be preserved as they go through the process. Because notice in verse 2 now he says, five of them were foolish and five were wise. Now remember, connect back to the previous thing that when we were talking about the faithful servant and the unwise servant in verses 47 and following. And so now here we see Jesus is going to introduce out of the 10, five foolish and five wise. And he says in verse three, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flax of oil with their lamps. So the virgins can be interpreted more or less as bridesmaids. Remember we're talking about a marriage and a feast that is going to take place. Remember, because that's why I gave you the three different phases from the dowry to the preparedness of the bridegroom to get his bride. And then third, when they become married, there's a marriage feast. There's a celebration with family and friends. So when the foolish took their lamps, they took none of the oil. But when the wise did, they took the flasks of oil with their lamps. These are bridesmaids. Now, oil is very significant In the Old Testament, for example, when you look at references where oil is used in the Old Testament, it oftentimes represents the spirit of God. And it's also a reminder of the oil that's constantly being used. That's constantly burning right in the tabernacle services. When you look at Exodus chapter 27 verses 20 through 21 So here now in verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed or took his time, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, a shout. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. So here the virgins, they'll use their lamps to guide the bridegroom in a joyful procession. So in verse 7, when all of those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. So it wasn't that the virgins or these bridesmaids, that they weren't alert. It was the fact that they weren't prepared. They went out unprepared. They didn't have the necessary provisions because they, they responded just like the other five wise virgins or bridesmaids but they were not they didn't have the sufficient amount of stuff to get from point A to point B they didn't have the necessary provision when the bridegroom suddenly arrived at night so here in verse 10 and while they're going to buy the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was shut see at a formal banquet the guests would arrive at the door and they would hand their cards that were stationed at the entrance Now, once all the invited guests had arrived, the master of the house, he would shut the door as an indication that all of our guests have arrived and no one else is permitted to come in. In Luke chapter 13, verses 24 through 25, notice these words, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen And shut the door. And you begin to stand outside. And to knock at the door. Saying Lord open to us. Then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Verse 11. Now back in Matthew 25. Afterward the other virgins came also. Saying Lord Lord open to us. But he answered truly I say to you. I do not know. It's the Greek word oida. I do not fully know you. So this statement conveys not. Every professing believer, this is important, my friends. What Jesus is saying from Luke 13, 24 and 25, and Matthew chapter 25, verse 11, based on what we just read about five who were prepared and ready, and five who were not, five were faithful, and five were unwise. He says, I do not truly know you, that's fully know you. He's saying not every professing believer who performs certain duties is truly a follower of Jesus Christ. When we look at salvation, we see that the Bible clearly teaches in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, the true confession, not a profession, but is confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing your heart that God raised him from the dead. We know John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For if you believe in the son, you have life. If you don't, you reject and You have no life, we're told in verse 17. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. We know that when you put your faith, right? In Christ's grace, for by grace you've been saved through faith, it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, at least any man should boast, knowing that we are created for his workmanship. So that right there is true confession. So there are people who are going to be around Christianity, other Christians, going to church, Believing some of these things, liking some of these speakers and in, in, in reading Christian novels and books, and they like the morality aspect of things or kind of making them feel good or taking some leader principles or qualities from it, you know. But that does not mean that they're saved. These are unprepared, unsaved souls. In verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Warren Wearsby put it like this. He said, quote, Jesus ended this parable with the warning he had uttered before. Watch Matthew 24, 42, 25, verse 13. This does not mean standing on a mountaintop gazing at the heavens. It means to stay awake and to be alert. Matthew 26, 38 through 41, end quote. So that is the significance of what Jesus is conveying with the parable of the virgins. But he's not through because now in verses 14 through 30, He has another parable. This is known as the parable of the talents. Notice he says, for it will be like a man going on a journey. So now he's going to, he's taking this parable in connection to what he just said before, based on what he was just talking about in the, all of the discourse. So this is a continuation of Jesus teaching on Tuesday here to give them an understanding of things to come. So he says, for it is like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted, meaning to convey, to hand over them his property. So Jesus gave a similar lesson. If you remember in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27 at the home of Zacchaeus, prior to his final arrival into Jerusalem. So this was just a few days ago in Luke chapter 19, when he was at Zacchaeus' house, and he gave a similar parable, like he's going to give right now in verses 14 through 30. So within a matter of days, Jesus is bringing up these parables Right? Several of them. And in all of these parables, he wants his disciples, he wants his listenership, he wants the people in the crowds that are following him to be faithful. Because in a matter of days, things are going to be starting to rock their world. He's going to be publicly executed. He's going to be buried for a few days, but then he's going to rise again. And then off and on, he's going to be with them for 40 days. And then in Acts chapter 1, 9 through 11, he's going to ascend to heaven. And the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to empower uh, the disciples to become the apostles. And we see on the day of Pentecost, 50 days removed from the resurrection, the start of the church. So he's wanting them to be prepared for these things and all the hardships and all the trials that are going to happen afterward. So in verse 15, in this parable, of the talents, he says to one, he gave five talents to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. So let's break down this understanding of what's taking place within this parable. Now, what we just read about how this master gave five talents and then to another two and to another one, and notice it says, and he gave each servant these talents according to his ability. And then he left saying, okay, you're going to be responsible, be faithful to what I've given you. So in essence, the master is entrusting these Possessions, these talents—they're literally in Greek silver money. That's what these talents represent. And saying, "Take care of these things. You are my trusted servants. Take care of them." And so, although the the, the master had given different amounts of talents to his servants, the same loyalty is required of each one. So, what we're going to see in this parable is the same reiteration of what Jesus conveyed in the parable of the virgins. It's about being prepared. It's about being ready. Now to take a closer look at talents, we see that it's about the sum of money, as I, as I mentioned earlier about silver money. So it's taking a sum of money that's estimated to be about 6,000 denarii, which is about valued anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20 ish years of earnings for a day laborer. So this is a, this is a huge investment that the master had distributed among his different faithful servants. And so when Jesus is putting connection here, that he, that the master did this according to their ability, just literally means to their capacity, to their power. So the master gave based on each servant's ability to perform certain tasks. So he's not showing favoritism. Remember Matthew 16, verse 27, the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So now in verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded. In Greek, it means he worked hard with them. The people he worked with where he invested the money, he worked hard with them and gained five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made, literally just means he gained two more talents. And he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground And he hid his master's money. So in verses 16 through 18, what we see is that each servant in return invests the talents given by the master in efforts to increase them. Except who? The one servant who was given the one talent. Now, when you and I are looking at this parable and seeing the lessons that Jesus is conveying, we understand now why the person with five talents and the why the person with two talents actually increased the talents because they were given these talents in the first place based according to their capacity. And so the one that received one, he was the one that failed because that was his capacity. He wasn't able to do as much. And it was almost like the master was giving him just enough to say, this is a great opportunity for you to show what you're capable of. So the other ones are investing talents given by the master and efforts to increase them, except for the servant who has given the one talent. So on the surface, it sounds as though these servants were not given much to begin with, especially, you know, the last servant. But again, we have to understand this parable. One talent actually weighed between 50 to 80 pounds of silver money. So this is a lot of money in context. So even... Though the, the servant who was given one talent buries it and doesn't do anything with it, which kind of speaks again to his lack of capabilities. It demonstrates, however, that the, the master still had trust in him because he was giving him 50 to 80 pounds worth of silver money. I mean, imagine if I gave you right now, 50 to 80 pounds of silver right now, what would you do with it? That's a lot of money, especially if you take that and you can go and invest it, you know, build some interest on the sucker. The master gave according to their capacity. He did it because he had trust in each one of them. But there was an expectation, right? There was an expectation for them to increase their profits. Now, it wasn't for their individual gain, but it was for the, the gain of their master who was employing them. So the more profitable the master would be, the more benefit it will be for them. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So this is the second parable about the delay, which is the unknown period of time of Jesus and the Olivet Discourse. You can reference that in Matthew chapter 24, 48 and Matthew 25, verse five. Now, when you look back, the first was in a home and this parable has to do with the world. Now, this phrase long time just implies that no one knows the day or the hour of his return. So when he entrusted his stewards, his servants to do um, the work that he'd called them to with the expectation of them increasing his profits. They didn't know when he was going to return. And so when he does return, they had to be ready. They had to be alert. Now the delay could tempt the servants obviously for saying, yeah, you know, he's not really showing up. He may never be back and they can take his belongings and run with it. But what we do see among the different servants the one with five, the one with two, and the one with one, is they were expecting for their master to return. So in verse 20, when he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So both servants received their extended rewards for what? For faithfully exercising and fulfilling their obligations, what was given to them. And the master recognized that both servants were what? They were good and faithful. And they took the talents given according to their abilities. So they're rewarded for what they did. Now in verse 24, he who had received one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have, what is yours? You think, well, he didn't steal it. He didn't run off with it. Well, this explains why the servant was given only one talent, as I was kind of alluding to a little bit earlier. You see, this servant, what we can see in the context He was self-centered. Notice how he responds to the master. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. He describes the master as a shrewd and greedy and he doesn't apologize for not investing the talent that made no profit. And also notice the lesser gifts are no excuse for not accomplishing what God has called you to do. You know, he's kind of looking at, These other servants somewhat probably, but the the main focal point here was how he addressed the master and notice how the master addresses him. He answers him, verse 26, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and will have more in abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast a worthless servant into the outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the master responds to the servant's unjustifiable accusations and rebukes him. And he's sentenced to judgment. These parables, my friends, are very significant. Be prepared. Be faithful. Be alert. Don't make excuses. Don't be envious of other people. If God has called you to do something, just execute it. Seek to fulfill the expectations that God has given you. Don't look to your right or to your left. Be faithful with what God has given you. So this now leads us into the final portion of our time here on Tuesday, and it's the judgment of the sheep and the goats. And as I mentioned earlier, this is certainly a passage of Scripture that people take out of context a lot. So let's jump right into verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then he will set on his glorious throne before him will be gathered all the nations. Now this term here, nations as ethnic, this is where we get the word ethnic or ethnicity. It's referring to the Gentile nations. And so Jesus says here, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So right here, when you and I start unpacking the sheep and the goats. Let's keep it in context. We just saw the parable of the virgins in verses one through 13 and the parable of the talents verses 14 through 30. And he's warning them about his return and that he will come and he will judge his people according to how they lived for him. Now, this coming judgment here in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46 represents Gentiles who have survived the tribulation So here, this reference to the goats, this is referring to the unbelievers. These are people who are sent to hell and the sheep are believers and they're allowed to enter into the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. This judgment is not to be confused with the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, which occurs after the millennial reign of Christ. Dr. Mark Hitchcock, in his complete book of Bible prophecy Puts it like this, quote, to judge the living when Christ returns, all Gentiles who survive the tribulation period will appear before him to determine whether they can enter his kingdom or not. Matthew 25, 31 through 46, which is the passage that we're looking at right now, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. In addition, Christ will gather all living Jews in the wilderness to determine who can enter the kingdom, according to Ezekiel 20, verses 33 Through 38. So remember, I mentioned to you earlier the parable of the virgins was about preparedness. It had nothing to do with the point in time of the rapture occurring. So it's not us in the church age presently. But talking about people who need to be prepared during the tribulation period, there then you have the talents that, again, are applicable to you and I living life right now as Christ followers that we're looking for his return at any given time. But then he jumps and talks about the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Remember, goats are not in reference to followers of God, but sheep are in, in, in essence are. So he's referring to the goats as unbelievers and therefore the sheep who are our believers, who are God's children, and contrasting. The millennial kingdom now that's going to be taking place after the tribulation period where his sheep, his followers, those who were faithful, those who were prepared, those who diligently did the work that God has called them, and they will be the ones who will be judged after the, the tribulation period, and they will go into the millennial kingdom. The ones who are judged as outcasts, as unbelievers, they will go to hell. And so here in verse 33, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Now, this is interesting because it's showing the separation of this judgment that will befall them. Sheep and goats, remember, they look similar. If they're all in one flock, they look very similar, but they're different breeds. And so that's why he's going to be going through his flock and he's going to be removing the goats. So those who enter in the millennial kingdom to repopulate the millennial kingdom, They're going to be followers of Christ when he establishes his earthly reign on Mount Zion. So in verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So the sheep are rewarded here by their obedience to Christ as savior and they're faithful living in the world. And so therefore they will enter his millennial kingdom and they're repopulated. Now notice in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, the goats, the unbelievers, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the goats are judged and sentenced to hell prior to the millennial kingdom on earth. Now, why do people take this out of context? Well, if you ever noticed and, and again, people have good intentions when they refer to this passage, but they don't see it in the proper context of why it's in the Bible. For the most part, people use this passage about feeding the homeless, doing the works of God, and God's going to say to you, "Hey, Jason, you know when you did this to the least, you did this to me, you know, come into my kingdom." And that's how you know most of the time, whether it be in book form, by a Christian author or a speaker pastor, whatever you're going to hear in that, in that context. The problem is however, though, just in the, in the purest form in the context, it's not referring to just general Christians through the course of church history. These are specific people who live, they're known as the tribulational saints. And of course, the people who also lived during the tribulation who rejected the gospel message. Remember all this judgment the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, all the the wrath of God's gonna be falling upon the world like he's never done before. And you're gonna see great intense activity among the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan, the dragon. You see this all in Revelation 13 doing these things. You're gonna have the two witnesses. You're gonna have 144,000 sealed Jews, messianic Jews gonna be going around the world preaching the gospel. There's gonna be plenty of opportunity for people to come to know Jesus Christ as our personal savior. And yet they're going to be people who are going to still reject him obviously because they have free will. They're going to choose rather to do whatever they want to do. And so when Jesus is saying how you lived your life during the tribulation period was not about you running and hiding from all this, but you were engaging, you were active, you were bold, you weren't ashamed of me. Well done. That's how the king will respond to them. You've done this to the least. You've also done it to me because you've not lost sight of God's, call in your life and his establishment of his kingdom on earth someday. So they are anticipating that even though they can count it down based on how long the tribulation period is going to be when it started from the signing of the treaty that we're told in Daniel chapter nine, 26 and 27 to when it's going to end. So this is important for us to understand in context. So this judgment is specific to the end of the tribulation period, not just in the church age in general. So I hope that makes sense to you. Now, as we close out the last thing here in Luke chapter 21, verses 37, 38, this is how Jesus ends Tuesday of the Passion Week. He remains teaching at the temple. It says here in verse 37, and every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he w- he went out and lodged on the Mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The city of Jerusalem was so crowded, if you imagine, and, and because of Passover that Jesus would have to leave the city, go outside of it to find refuge. But the people would be anxious during this Passion Week. They would be anticipating him every day, every morning. And he would go out there and he would teach the people, especially if we notice here on Tuesday, he would teach them about things to come because he wanted his followers to know about future events. And there is something very intriguing, obviously, about the future. So my friends, I know this has been pretty extensive. So thank you for being patient, for going through this. I hope that you are enjoying this as much much as I have been enjoying it to study the teachings of Jesus and to put into proper context and understand how they've happened and when they happened and how it kind of, you know, moves other things around. And, And hopefully what it does is not just jog our memory, but it really challenges us as we sit at the feet of Jesus and imagine him teaching us at the Mount of Olives or we're at the temple and we're looking at the crowds of people and who are anticipating to hear from Jesus. I just pray, and this has been my prayer for quite some time, that as you study with me, that you would open your heart and your mind and that you would fall in love with Jesus more and more. That's my prayer for you, my friends. And I just want to take this moment before I end this episode to thank you To my faithful listeners who have been with me all these years, many of you have shared the podcast. You've told other people about it. Some of you guys have told us how you're taking this material and you're using in your small groups. You're taking our notes. I just appreciate that. I want you guys to know that you mean the world to me. I look forward every time to have the opportunity to do this podcast as we continue to study and prepare for it. And so I just want you to know that I always look forward to this time. So thank you for tuning in. I pray that this Passion Week study has really opened your eyes and given you a deeper understanding of the richness of the Jewish texts. So until next time, my friends, keep standing strong, my friends. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at StandStrongMinistries.org. Thank you for listening, and keep standing strong in the Word of God.